Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Cowabunga dudes, and welcome to the first of two weeks where we are talking about those amphibious martial artists, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, here on the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch, one of your totally awesome co-hosts, and with me, ready to jump into a fight with the Foot Clan and hopefully win, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. This is what we do. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I can get, I can. Let me do my hammer dance that. in my desk. Well, my body, it's my body, yeah. <laughs> There we go. Break it down. Well, this week we go back to 1990 where we are visiting the first live action edition of this property hit on the where it hit the big screen. So let's get into it. Aaron, before we actually get into this spoiler part of the episode, okay, I want to talk a little bit about um, naming conventions for this property. So we have covered oh boy. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 2014 I believe, live action, whatever, CG thing, the Michael Bay produced thing, and its sequel. And then over the years, since this iteration, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, parentheses, 1990, <laughs> there have been so many others. Uh, my son and I actually started watching the 2007 animated one, TMNT. That's the official name for it. And it's just gotten me refascinated with the entire library of not only the movies, but the television series and just all these different iterations. And I just want to say I'm reminded of how great this property is, how versatile and how much it's able to sort of continue to refresh itself over the course of multiple years. Seeing some of the voice cast on some of these uh, TV shows that have come out in these series, I'm really wanting to check out some of them, but I know there's another one coming after the release of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, mayhem is the next one uh from this year so i just i just want to make that observation that there's a lot of turtles in the world and so whether you're our age whether you're 16 whether you're 30 whatever there's probably going to be an iteration of the turtles that you gravitate towards and i'm just grateful that we have all these iterations we said this on our 2014 turtles episode that while those aren't our turtles they definitely satisfied our enjoyment of what the turtles are all about so i'm excited to get into this uh, particular episode excited to talk about next week with mayhem it's just gonna be a lot of fun so just saying that now it's gonna be a good conversation i agree and i think that for me at least and i'll probably echo some of this and you may as well next week when we talk about mutant mayhem but i enjoy all of the turtles and it, it could be my version of the turtles which I think we're going to come to a conclusion pretty quickly like this is our turtles. This is what we grew up with. The original series that we watched growing up as kids, that was our animated series. But I've dabbled and watched some of the other animated series that they've done and also all these different movies. And I just enjoy this IP in all of its various forms and all of its reimaginings. And some things I'll specifically call something out in this episode that I really prefer about this particular version, but then there may be other things I prefer about the different versions. And I just, I think that's really cool because there's not a lot of properties that have been able to sustain that level of interest for me over multiple different styles and 
decades of retelling their stories. Yeah, it's the variety of it, I think, allows us to be able to gravitate towards one thing or another. And I think for me, watching the 1990s version, I remember coming out of the theater, really making a comparison to the TV show. And I think we've talked about this before, but you watched the TV show growing up, the 1980s cartoon, correct? With, you know, Shredder, Krang, and Bebop, Rocksteady, all that stuff. So up to that point, I had no idea there was a comic book that all this was based on. And one of the things that I, I noticed among the kind of comparative differences that I was making in the theater, like, that's not the origin, or, hey, wait a minute, it's Channel 6, not Channel 3, and it's Chief Burns, not Chief Stur-. You know, I was just making all these, like, what I would call maybe 12-year-old uh, criticisms. So my film criticism started early uh, about adaptations and whatnot. But this time around, I really was conscious because of the history of the TV show. I've read some of the comics the the movies that have come this was a really kind of a a darker version of the turtles that i was used to so you when you come out of the cartoon series where it's kind of goofy and campy there were i believe there were a lot of puns that were made <laughs> during the the run of that tv series when you go into this i remember enjoying it i remember absolutely having a good time because this is the live action version we get to see our characters on the screen in all their glory, but I noticed the intentional like slant of the darker tone of this, and it was accented here and there by some funny moments, but I actually like that. I like the way that this film was not afraid to really go back to the origin of the comic books, where these turtles were edgy. They were not necessarily kid-friendly in terms of what you would read. There was some violence here and there, but when you mix it with Jim Henson's Creature Shop, who you read, Jim Henson did not love the fact that his creatures, these turtles that he created, actually fought. There was a lot of violence. And I kind of laugh now because there's not a lot of heavy violence. It's not Quentin Tarantino by any means, but it's not even like Karate Kid type stuff. I mean, it's kind of in that same vein. Like it's What did he expect? I mean, what, and, and, I'm just I'm yeah. wondering, Jim, Jim, please call in right now somehow <laughs> and tell me. Is Jim Henson no, alive? This he's is probably dead. a really bad no. joke. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, maybe it's easier to call in then if he's dead. <laughs> he could just apparate or something. Anyway, uh, listen, they're called the Teenage Mutant. What? What? Ninja Turtles? Oh, but you don't want them to be violent. I, I That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They're not called the Teenage Mutant Nice Turtles. Yeah. You know, like, it's kind of in the title. Right. And I think that while he didn't have a complete say in it, I think it did affect some of the production. I believe the director was pulled at one point from the movie. I, I don't recall specifically. But despite that, I think the overall tone held its ground really, really well. There was enough lightheartedness to create some levity here and there. But between the score and the action pieces, it really felt like a teenage based movie like this is what a 13 year old would really enjoy back in the 1990s i don't know how well this type of movie would fly i really as i was watching it i was thinking man i'd love to kind of see the eastman and laird turtles really come out in a live action remake in a way that's gritty and dark but i think that that would be kind of a little too extreme because of the history and all the different kinds of iterations that we've gotten from the turtles so i think this kind of balanced the campiness of the cartoon the lightheartedness of the cartoon with just quiet moments here and there 
but maintaining that sense of, you know, this is a serious kind of deal. Like even from the start of the movie, it's fantastic. You've got this kind of overture playing and you've got April. She's reporting on how the crime wave in New York is at its highest. And I kept thinking, man, it kind of feels like 2022, 2023. There's just a lot of bad stuff happening in these big major cities. But it sets us up for such a great kind of premise that this crime wave is what's dragging the city down. And yet there are these like vigilantes that nobody knows about that the chief is kind of frustrated with. It's your classic superhero Spider-Man like story. And I think it really sets us up for getting that intro to the four turtles and getting us into their layer. And I just I felt like it was a really, really great way to set up this origin story for the four turtles. Yeah, it is definitely on the grittier side, despite being frequently silly. It really walks that tightrope pretty well and probably the best, I think, of any of them that I can remember. I agree with you. It would be difficult to do a very comic book traditional version of this now that the property is such a known fantastic kids IP that you would it would be like making a, an R-rated Batman movie and turning him into a mass murderer and and kind of even though we're not talking about you know don't get in i don't want to get into like oh that's not batman's history and so it's different yeah i know it's different but my point is you're taking a character people know for being one way most people people did not read the comics they're not they're not like the primary method of people knowing the turtles i'm sorry they just aren't and you would be completely messing with their expectations i'd watch it it would be interesting but i don't think it would have anywhere near the reach right and there would be of course a backlash about it as well so i think this is a good attempt at kind of marrying some of that darker tone with the campiness and the fun and the quippiness that we got used to in the cartoon. Now we were both 11. So for us, it was dark. Like it felt <laughs> like watching it now is different than when you watched it when you were 11, two years after having watched this and binge the TV show. And so I agree with you. It is a bit of a jolt. If you put yourself in those shoes and think back to the difference at the time. Yeah. One of the things that I really love, though, you said the origin. So I think this is my favorite origin story of any of the versions of the turtles. I love this because, and I'm going to run through it real quick for people who maybe haven't seen the movie recently, but for the, the Shredder Splinter Turtles part of it, Splinter was a rat who learned ninjutsu from his former master, who was a ninja, Hamato Yossi. And he was a pet. And then his master ends up having beef with this other ninja named Orokusaki because he was jealous over a shared love interest. Ultimately, Yoshi leaves, takes her with him, and, then, and takes Splinter, his pet rat, and they come to New York City to escape. But Orokusaki is in this jealous rage and tracks them down, murders her, then murders his master Yoshi. But he is able to escape from his cage and jumps on his the man's face and cuts it, which essentially is Splinter being Splinter and the Turtles are tied to their most famous villain in a personal way. Now, that's not how it comes out in the comics and many of the other iterations. But in this one, Splinter is directly responsible for creating some of the Shredder persona 
by scraping his face and causing him to want to wear this mask all the time. And I just think that is really cool. And it sets this movie up for such a more interesting story than just them fighting against somebody else who happens to be a martial artist like them that is terrorizing New York. Because, again, there's this personal buy-in. They have uh, an investment in this relationship. Even though the Turtles don't know it yet, they come to know it over time. Uh, but for Splinter, you know, he definitely does. And I just think it it really works for me, and especially as it builds up to kind of – it, it gets a little campy in the final confrontation between the two of them because it's a puppet rat. <laughs> but I love it. I love how it ends between the two of them. And I, and it just it just really works for me big time. Well, and I think that you balance that with the camp. I would say, yes, there is camp for sure. But I think because we know going in that you have these four personalities in the Ninja Turtles that balance each other out. I want to say that there's an amplification of what we've already gotten used to in the original cartoon series. So when this movie was made, I think it goes without saying that it had the cartoon fans in mind when it was creating this. I don't think that there was like, okay, this is like a direct sequel to the TV series. No, I don't think that because then we'd have questions about, well, where's Bebop? Where's Rocksteady? Where's Krang? Where are the neutrinos? Where all these things that the cartoon encompassed. I don't think the creators and the creative team behind the movie were thinking that, but I do believe they had that audience in mind and they wanted to make sure and I think successfully portrayed each turtle in a way that made sense to who we were used to seeing them as. My only exception, and this comes from the Turtle Power song that I absolutely love, but it says Raphael was the leader of the group and that's a lie. Okay. That that I, is that you is know, a, that is a fiction. <laughs> so take I it know. back. <laughs> I, I said the same thing. I actually wrote the same thing down as I was jamming out to it during the end credits and remembering that I really still had all of the words memorized to the song just came right out of my mouth like I like it was 30 years ago or whatever. I, I agree. I was like I was as I was saying it, I was like, wait a second. That's not right. I forgot about that. <laughs> and and then I was trying to figure there's a couple of points in that song where they actually I think it's partners in crime, but they spell it K-R-Y-M-E, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a couple of places in there where they force some rhymes. And so I wondered and I was like, is it Leonardo? He's the leader of the group. And it, I mean, it could have worked like it's maybe what Leonardo so Raphael. So it's like one syllable short. And I wondered if that's how they were doing it. There's also some interesting changes about spoiler alert, brief, 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 spoiler, little tiny spoiler alert. But in Mutant Mayhem, it's Leonardo who is more specifically interested in April romantically. And that's what I feel like I remembered. But in this one, it's sort of all of them. I, I don't know. Like it, it, It's Mikey. It's Mikey. Rafael. I mean, Mikey. Mikey? Is yeah. it Mikey? Yeah. Okay. So it's more Mikey, but it's definitely not Leonardo. Like in, it's not yeah. led by yeah. him in the same way. And then, uh, you know, for some of the other fun stuff, like I loved the initial, meeting between Casey and Raphael. I think that sequence where they are talking about baseball yeah. and having this fight. It's just cricket. so hilarious. You gotta know what a crumpet is to understand cricket. <laughs> exactly. And then the, you know and you know Casey comes back and kind of ingratiates himself ultimately to the whole group and ends up having moments with all of them or at least a few of them. There's a another great moment with Donatello where they're fixing a vehicle and they're having this 
insult competition where they have to call each other a name, but they're going down the alphabet, playing an alphabet game. And I don't know if I ever really caught that before, because there's just like a real quick line of dialogue where one of them is like, are we, what letter are we on? G. And then he's like, okay, go man or whatever. I'm ready. Hose brain. (laughs) There you go. Those, those two were really fun. And I think it's probably a little bit more of a, it's less of a fighting focused Casey than we may have gotten used to in the comics, but just from a, like, does this person fit as a friend of the turtles? I think he was really great in this role as someone who, along with April, could prove to them that humans could be worthy of having, you know, relationships. Yeah, so it was very much a reminder to me. It kind of reminded me a little bit of how, like, the humans had their relationships with the Transformers. You had this sort of ally relationship of they're different, but we're friends. And I like the way that Casey's story sort of pushed itself through. And, you know, as someone who was sort of looking for the Krangs and the Bebops and the Rocksteadies and stuff, I really forgave this movie for not having those because they wouldn't have really fit. Like the whole point of this first Ninja Turtle movie was really about getting to know these four individual turtles, the uh, the relationship they have with Splinter. Bringing in Casey Jones, I think, was really effective because of his relationship with April, which, by the way, at no point in the movie does he call her April ever. Like there's that whole sequence where he's like, he's like, Toots, babe, uh, princess. And she's like, you're a chauvinistic pig. Uh, you know, go fix something else yourself. But even after they quote get together, he never calls her April. It's really, really fascinating. The other thing I like is that as, as I was alluding to, the personalities of each one of these turtles is an amplification of what we get used to in the cartoon. So Mikey's the levity guy. He's the one that, I mean, they're all kind of funny in their own way. Leonardo and Raphael are more on the serious side. But Raphael, who is cool but rude, (laughs) you know, in the cartoon, he is that way. He's a personified version of those three words. And it really pushes out this idea of a character, one who is part of this group that wants to go his own way. He wants to sort of, he feels constrained a little bit. And he has to go through this journey of getting beat up where Leonardo, who has confrontation with him, eventually they forgive each other. And I just, I've listened to this. That hug makes me so it's, teary. It's great. When the bathroom. It's great. I love yeah, it. Yeah. My son was watching a little bit of this with me and I was doing laundry because I know this movie just back and forth. And so at one point, you know, when, when uh, Leonardo's hugging him and he's saying this and he's, and, and Raphael goes, Leo, don't (laughs) that that brooklyn accent it's just fantastic but i love seeing the dynamics on full display here i love i feel like donatella doesn't get a lot of play the only reason he stands out is because Corey feldman voices him for mind you not very much money so little quick fact Corey feldman was paid fifteen hundred dollars to provide his lines did not negotiate a wow. percentage because he didn't think this thing would fly. He didn't think it was, he thought, oh, this is going to be a direct to video. I'll just make my cash and, and go home. Yeah, little did he know. And so I think he tried to capitalize on that by coming back for the third movie. And that actually was the one that was probably predicted to be the worst of the three, which I can adamantly that's, agree was the, was the case. That's too funny. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, this movie 
was a real true box office success. This movie was made for thirteen and a half million dollars, and it made two hundred and two million dollars in its box office run alone. And then it became an absolute knockout favorite, cult favorite, whatever. You, I guess you can't really call it a cult favorite when it was that successful at the box office, but like it became a favorite. Yeah, a VHS title as well. Well, and it. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. And it wasn't a movie that actually had distribution rights until after it got made. Like this was not backed by Warner Brothers or Disney. They'd gone to these places and said, hey, would you distribute this? And they're like, no, a little company that was famous for like B movies and art house films at the time, New Line Cinema, picked it up and said, yep, we're going to be good. And New Line Cinema went on to be really famous for the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and several others, obviously. So it was a big, big jump for both that movie and that property as well as the studio that uh or the company that distributed the rights. So kind of a kind of a rocky <laughs> type story with this with this movie. Really good stuff. I will also say when we're talking about the turtles, this is definitely maybe the most Raphael centric piece of turtles media that I can remember. Raphael was never like the main focus. Like yeah, he's always just the guy like you say he's cool but rude. He's got a rage problem. That is definitely True. consistent. Yeah. He, you're going to see that some more real soon next week. But uh, he, he's always raging. But there's so much fun stuff with him. And he really is like a focal point of this one. Like you said, Donatello doesn't actually do much uh, as it was. You know, he's he's less involved, I think, than some of the others. Raphael seems to be the main guy. I love the scene where he puts on a trench coat and a fedora and is like, I'm going to a movie. I mean, he's my favorite in this movie particular. Like, he's so much fun. And then there was a scene that totally reminded me of you. And I was like, if Patrick was a turtle, this would be Patrick right here. Do you know what scene I might be referring <laughs> to? Wanna, I'm just I curious. I don't know what trying to guess. <laughs> was it? Wait. So is it a Raphael scene? I'm guessing it is. It's a Raphael so, scene, yes. Um, in, light of, <laughs> in light of our... Uh, recent discussions on The Last of Us is it the scene where he gets beat up because I've predicted like at moments no. where I would get no, killed. No, it's not you predicting your <laughs> no, death. No, okay. no. <laughs> no it is remember. him in the kitchen doing <laughs> impressions and saying, you dirty rat, doing a James Cagney and then him going, oh, can we say that? Because it's like Splitter. But just like Raphael's this gigantic, he is so comfortable in his skin, in his own body and who he is that even if from the outside and do not take this the wrong way <laughs> I'm about to say it's in my head. I haven't said it out loud, but even if from the outside, someone was to erroneously perceive this person as being goofy or awkward <laughs> in any way, it would be so funny and charming because he just is being, he, there's no, guilt about it there they, he's just he's being who he is yeah. and and he's comfortable i just love that about him so i think you you make a good point he is very self-aware very self not self-conscious but very much confident in the way in which he acts he's unapologetic that would be the way i would describe him now the scene you're referring to mike michelangelo is doing those impressions and yes i absolutely would own that oh yeah. is he dead be, be, no it's okay because the orange and the red in this I, are really i get it, I get it yeah Absolutely get that. But I think I think with with that scene, even Raphael, his his frustration with that, that would not be me. I would be Michelangelo for sure. But he's like, oh, man, don't do Cagney. Come on. And 
he just that's where he walks away and it's right before he gets beat up the thing about Raphael that i think makes this movie so interesting and probably why he is considered the leader of the group according to the lyric besides the fact that it just fits rhythmically is the fact that he's so prominent and it's what carries this notion that leads to that scene on the farm where all four of them are together um, it's predicated by Leonardo doing his meditation and he hears Splinter and then he runs in <laughs> to where the other three are playing, I think, Trivial Pursuit and Michelangelo knows One Piece or something like that or maybe Stellatello. Then he convinces all of them to do the same thing and meditate and that's when Splinter gives him that great motivational speech and they're crying and all that stuff. But it takes all four of them. Now, where I think the film doesn't really thrive in its strengths is accenting all four of those characters equally it's okay that it doesn't i kind of wish the sequels would have kind of done that a little bit more but the second one felt more like a cash grab but i do like that the anchor of Raphael's journey is what pulls all of them together gets them back into new york and it really creates such great moments where they're they're fighting with the foot and it's different the second time around so they're all fighting together both times but they're almost fighting independently and, and Raphael, of course is beat up he actually never really i think with the exception of like the first scene in the dark he never fights with his brothers and so when they get to that final moment where they're taking on shredder none of them can defeat him but he's there and i think it's his presence that completes them that makes them feel like okay yeah we are four brothers we we can do this and I think without that, it would have felt a little just more camp because then you'd have to focus on somebody. And uh, but I think because of his dynamic personality, Raphael is the one you want to anchor into for uh, for the story. So I was it was really good. It was a good it was a good decision made by the by the filmmakers. One of the other things I want to point out is the is the set pieces in here. There have been several times, either in conversations uh, with Adam on AOS or with other people. Um, I don't know if it's in television shows. But there have been jokes about the, you know, this is like Shredder's lair. <laughs> and it is such a fantastic set. Like when I saw this, I was like, sign me up for the Foot Clan. I would love to do that. Um, it Are we talking about the Foot Clan? Yeah, now? the Shredder. I call it Shredder's, yeah. the Shredder's lair is officially what it's called. The Shredder's lair, the warehouse where it is. Yeah. yeah. Led by Sam Rockwell. Super sick. You know, like, <laughs> like that's yeah, ex yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's awesome. Like. Like you said, it's casino games, arcade cabinets, a skate park going through the middle of it, seemingly unlimited soda. There's like walls of soda behind people for some reason. And like it also cracked me up that they were like, we can get you anything you want. And they're like, you got cigarettes? And he's like, regular or menthol? And I was like, yeah, I remember this. 1990 when cigarettes were the hard thing to yeah. get. Like, that was the drug. But yeah, this, and then in the back, it's like a secret fight club. Yeah, you know, exactly it is. exactly right. Yes. It's so awesome. I agree. It stood out big time. I'd forgotten how, like, appealing it would be to kids of that age yeah. group that they're trying to recruit. That's the whole point. And it makes well, sense. Well, and it's like multi-level. So you've got Pleasure Island, you know, like from Pinocchio right here where you've got it's literally a dude smoking a cigar playing pool and there's like video games happening and i felt like as i'm watching this over and over again i felt like okay so what's going to happen is you got guys that are stealing stuff you got danny stealing a, a walkman and other and eating burger king by the way like that's fantastic product placement and then you've got all this other stuff happening and i felt like 
the the henchman i don't know what his name like shidoshi or whatever the guy's name that that gets uh beat up by casey jones i feel like he's sort of looking out to say okay who could potentially be foot and then you get into that fight club which is it's such a fantastic like tonal like not tonal shift but like a like a like a needle uh, a needle scratch like a record scratch moment because you've got rock and roll and hip-hop music playing and then you've got like no music in the back where guys are just like sparring and beating each other up and then he gets in front of the dude and impresses him but the guy doesn't bow right and so he kicks him and says never lower your eyes to an enemy he's like yes master whatever tatsu that's his name and then and then it it like culminates to like the the gong and it's like they went through orient like shredder orientation or foot orientation like listen don't care if you're part of the front room or the back room when that thing bangs you come out to the main area because we're going to show you like how we recruit and how we give people their masks and stuff like that. So it was all just so cool. And I, I mean, I really did. There's a part of me was like, I kind of want to be a part of this. Yeah. It's, it's got an appeal to it until you realize that as awesome as shredders armor looks in this old costuming that they were doing, the foot clan uniform is the inverse of that in absolute corniness. Yeah. It is yeah. horrific. <laughs> horrific outfit it is so bad it's like the worst ski mask bodysuit thing i have ever seen and i hate every time we get like close-ups of them like there's the one scene when one of them approaches april at the beginning and he like puts out his fist and he's i forget what he's like i, I deliver a message miss o'neill and he opens his fist like there's something in his hand and he open fists or open open hand slaps her he says shut it and i was like i laughed so hard and then i was like why am i laughing i'm such a horrible person this is terrible he's like it's like just abusing a woman for no she's just standing there there's no reason to do that but when it like zooms in on that guy's face and he's like trying to act all scary it's just it's really hard to take him seriously <laughs> but shredder shredder looks terrifying yeah. so the thing about that is one because of the bodysuits you could tell who the not so athletic foot soldiers are. Yes, okay, that's exactly it's like you right. got you got Uncle Bob who got recruited by the by the Foot Clan because you know maybe he provides some financial input or whatever, and you know he's sitting there next to <laughs> you know next to like other guys who are built and and whatnot. So I absolutely agree. It, it was just it's not great. It, in defense of that particular scene, that particular guy played Donatello. So there are four cameos where the, okay. where the actors, not the voice actors necessarily, but the actors in the turtle suits got to make their own, yes. like, I think, yes, they got to make their own uh, verbal cameos. So that was Donatello, which is just, I can't imagine, I'm trying to picture Donatello, but it's a turtle suit. And how can you picture, a, you know, a guy in a, you know, without the turtle suit or whatever? Josh Pace, who plays Raphael. He was the passenger in the taxi cab. So when Raphael uh, gets thrown over the cab and the cabbie's like, yeah. oh, it looks like a big green turtle in a trench coat. The guy behind him, the passenger, yeah. that's Raphael. The pizza delivery man who delivers the uh, 122 and an eighth <laughs> to, and is late by like uh, 35 seconds or something. Wise men say forgiveness is right. divine, but, but never pay full price for pizza. <laughs> That's Michelangelo. That's awesome. And then I think it's David Foreman. Yeah. 
He plays Leonardo, and he actually plays a gang member in the warehouse during Casey's fight with uh, with with Tatsu. I don't know who it is, but it's definitely not Sam Rockwell. Who, you know, I thought he was only in one scene. He's actually in like three or four. I think he's in the opening scene where they get jumped by the Ninja Turtles, and then he's of course the the guy leading the the tour of Shredder's lair, and then finally he's in the um, he's in that last scene where he's like, "Yeah, you'll meet you'll you'll find what you need at." uh, on the East River, East Dock at Lairman, whatever. Yeah, the little tribute to Eastman and Laird, the original creators of the Turtles. So lots of cool stuff here. Lots of uh, interesting cameos. And it it's funny to hear the actual actors talk because I'm so used to hearing and, ho- and, and just thinking, oh, yeah, the voice actors and the actual actors are the same people. No, they're not. No, they're actual. Because <laughs> there's no way Corey Feldman's doing all that choreography is Donatello. That's that's not even really remotely possible. Yeah, I mean, even for people who probably were trained somewhat, it just looks... It, it is so enjoyable, but it is in a charming way, not in a serious way. And, yeah. I, and I think that is where it doesn't conflict with, but it accentuates the grittiness and keeps it from being super dark and serious, is because you get... A little bit of that tone in the in the filmography, in the cinematography, and the darkness of the world, and the actual conflict that is happening between the foot and the Ninja Turtles, and the fact that people are dying. Like Splinter is like, for all intents and purposes, like he is being he's being captured and tortured, and like it's pretty dark. But then you see these guys <laughs> that you know. I mean, it looks like in a lot of ways, me if I'm like in my living room with my you know long tube of wrapping paper that i'm using as my bow as donatello (laughs) and i'm like flip it trying to flip around right before i pull a hamstring and throw my back out it's kind of like that except in a well and i i give credit to the practical effects here the 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 choreography is good for what they were dealt (laughs) yeah Yeah, i'm not complaining it's charming it's not it's not like badass no, it's no you're right you're absolutely right and, and and i would say i agree with you the fight with with shredder leaves a lot to be desired when compared to the sequence in april's uh it's our antique store i thought that was probably the best one it's the best use of balancing just really neat like hand-to-hand combat the whole bit with uh with 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 uh, michelangelo and the uh and the foot ah fellow chucker eh it's just it was a great way to show martial arts technique and skills in a way that it makes you want to pick up a pair of nunchucks and so you realize that those things hurt like crazy if you don't know how to use them i also i told tyler that we were arguing about best turtle just this weekend and i was like no one uses nunchucks it's a stupid weapon all you do is hit yourself with them in the head and i was like outnumbered by all these ridiculous michelangelo fans (laughs) it drives me crazy do you have a favorite turtle? Don't tell me if it's Michelangelo. Tell me no, you don't. No, did we we talked about this. Leonardo's my guy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. You're Leonardo. That's cool. Leonardo's like the second best. So I can I can okay. I'm okay Let me with just that. say this. I think in light of the other two movies, um, the second one is is worth watching if more for nostalgia and you know just to see Vanilla Ice do his thing a little bit. But it's definitely more on the campsite and leaning into. That. Go ninja! Go ninja! Go! Go ninja, go ninja, go, 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 go. go. Anyway, what I what I think is great about this one, and it plays into that darker tone, is they use their weapons. Now, I never see Leonardo stab anybody with his katanas, and I don't want to see that. But I do see him swing them and try to attack in a way, block and things like that. 
Same thing with Donatello. Raphael, you know, again, not stabbing, but knows how to use the size a little bit. I mean, all four of them use them effectively. When you watch the sequel, I'm just going to give you a little spoiler alert, audience and Aaron, since it's been a while. What you're going to notice, and this was a, <laughs> this was from feedback either from, oh, it wasn't from fans, but it was from at least a studio that bought the rights. They're like, listen, can we tone down the violence? You will not see really any use of their weapons at all. It's kind of stupid because that is a quintessential part of who the turtles are. It's their weapons. You would identify them by two things, the color of their bandana and the weapon they use. So even if they did not have their bandanas, if a guy was holding a bow staff, it was Donatello. If a guy was holding nunchucks, it was uh, Michelangelo. You knew who they were. And they were those weapons were just as iconic. And when they get pulled in that second movie, it feels a little stupid because it's like, I've lost a piece of what makes these turtles really good. Yeah, that actually lessens my enjoyment or excitement to watch it again, <laughs> which I was, I'm going to do anyway, but I did notice it made a lot less money. I'd seen some friends who said it was their favorite and I was a little surprised because I didn't remember it being better, but it was like the budget was more and then it only made like 75 million. It was like a 25 million yeah. budget and 75 million. Box this is, so it definitely did not do well, as well. And I think this is a product of the indie film that could, you know, the thing that was made as a passion project and made without studio interference, without studio saying, you might want to do this. You might want to do that up until I believe it was, you know, the Blair Witch Project in 1999. It was the highest grossing independent film at the time. The Blair Witch Project beat it, having made 135 million um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, having made 135 million domestically. And I think the same formula applied. When Blair Witch got popular as a franchise, as a property, then you started having to kind of reinvent the wheel or hit lightning strike twice, and it just didn't work. Like, I liked, I mean, I right. liked The Secret of the Ooze. Yet, another thing, mutagen is never mentioned anywhere in these three movies. Like, it's like, it's the thing, mutagen. But it's called ooze or slime or, or whatever. I was going to say, he does mention it during the origin story, but he doesn't, all, literally, it's a throw. He just says, three turtles standing in something. I forget what he even says, but yeah, that's it. There's no, there's no detailed explanation of how it, where it came yeah. from. <laughs> it's just, it was just there and they were in it and it changed the ball. Yeah. So I think that 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 journey to get made and then to get famous, the blessing and the curse is that it became famous. It became popular and therefore it got more money. But now how do you strike twice with this? And it's hard to do that. So I think that's what makes this original, the 1990 original movie work so well is that it didn't have the hindrances of the pressure of anything. It was like, listen, <laughs> We're we're spending this money. It's getting made regardless. If it gets distributed by a major or not, that's fine. If it makes its money back, great. We've done what we can. Unfortunately, it did. It made a ton of money. And people were like, we need more turtles. And we're like, okay, well, we'll give you more. And we'll bring in Toka and Razor. And who are those guys? I was like, Ooh, all right, well, let's, let's just move on. That's all I have, Aaron. Do you have anything else you want to add? Not a lot. I just think it's kind of subtly sweet at times. I, the, you mentioned one of the scenes that is one of my favorite from a, like an emotional kind of storytelling angle, which is the splinter coming back in the campfire, the vision of him kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi like, even though he's not dead. They they probably think he is, I think, at that point. They're not sure. And then 
you have the great line that Splinter gets to say after he flips Shredder off of the rooftop. Death comes for us all, Orokusaki, but something much worse comes for you. For when you die, it will be without honor. And then you will get smooshed in a garbage truck by Casey Jones. But not for long. Uh, <laughs> I love that. And I like I like when Splinter, uh, these are all Splinter, go figure, uh, tells Danny all fathers care for their sons. Uh, I, I think that's nice. And I think that has a good payoff. The whole Danny storyline is not my favorite thing in the movie being thrown in there, but I understand it. And I, and it, it makes sense from a narrative. You need a lead into the foot clan in a way. And it works, but I like that it pays off in the end when his dad finds him and he's like, call me Dan. And it's, it's just a real kind of a subtle way of like, it's a coming of age. He's growing up. He wants to be his own independent person. He needs his dad's approval he wants his dad to understand and recognize that. And okay, instead of becoming a ninja criminal, we're just going to take a couple letters off my name. Is that cool? And dad's like, okay, cool. I got it. Like, I understand. Yes, that's better. I also had a brief fast and furious moment in the opening scene of this when they're stealing like TVs and VCRs out of trucks yeah. and such. And I was like, it's the precursor to stealing DVDs yep. uh, or DVD players. <laughs> This is what Dominique Toretto was doing 10 years earlier, except uh, probably was in the Foot Clan. That's, you if know. he was in the Foot Clan, he was probably pickpocketing better than Danny was. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't in New York. No, that's true. So probably that's not. Sure, it's in yeah. L.A., <laughs> New York West. But I just it's, it's hilarious because even in that opening sequence, as much as I love it, I always just have this eyesore of that wallet that gets picked. The wallet. And it yeah. just, and then Danny's like, kind of, like, kind of open. He like just holds it like, out like this, and somebody from the Foot Clan's whoosh. like. <laughs> but even before that, <laughs> like a ninja, because like, yeah. he's a ninja. <laughs> it's so stupid when they like pile in the back of the truck. <laughs> just like, what is going on? It's yeah, it's so it charming. Is. It's so it's, it's fun. Good. I mean, I had a blast rewatching. Oh, the moldy pizza funeral. Oh yes, laughed out loud. When, uh, 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 unless you like your pizza with penicillin, <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> I mean they're just they're so i guess naturalistic in their humor and it's unlike what we see in almost any comedy these days every joke line feels written in a writer's room where these joke lines felt like dudes who were just sitting around and were familiar with each other and because they're not typical things they're not a joke you would come up with you know and i I like that they're 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 on the verge of dad jokey. That's what it is. It's like you just have these these kind of like this is That's, what my okay. this is what the jokes I would tell. These are the jokes that I appreciate from them. I also like the fact that we have enough product placement to just kind of fill up a whole year's worth of uh, of advertising. Interestingly enough, Domino's Pizza is very do- dominant here, but Pizza Hut as a property really embraced this. Like back in the nineties, they had their hands all over the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. Like they had obviously the pizza, but they had other merchandising. And it, it was like, it was weird because all I could think about was Domino's Pizza because that's what was featured in the film. Another little piece of trivia is, I don't know, I know Critters was the movie that was, uh, there was a there was a poster for it when Raphael was coming out. Was that what was featured? Do you remember if that was what? In the original script, oh, I have no in, idea. in one of the iterations, he was actually supposed to be coming out of Batman. Because that was finished filming as well. And he was supposed to say something like, like, 
cool car, terrible costume or something like that. <laughs> okay, that would have been I know, awesome. I don't know why they didn't use that if there was a if there was a uh, They probably couldn't get a the copyright, yeah. Um, yeah. But just little things like that that I think were very uh very poignant, very just purposeful and it just it created a fun movie experience that I think really hits a wide audience. In its darkness, it's its grittiness, it's funniness, all that stuff just really makes it a a really complete movie to watch or even rewatch it's got its moments it's got its kind of faults here and there but that's just the product of when it was when it was made and i think more than anything else is whether it was the tv series whether it was the comic book i want to say this movie helped spark an appreciation for the property enough to get all the iterations that we've gotten over the last 20 years it's really great heck yeah heck yeah all right well that's going to do it for us on this edition of feeling film next week we're Hanging out with the turtles again, watching uh, Mutant Mayhem, the 2023 iteration. I am really excited. My wife laughs at me because we've seen two trailers for it, both of them the same one, and I laugh at the same moment every time. And she's like, why is that funny? I'm like, I don't know. It just is. But I'm really, really excited to take my son to it. He's going to have a good time. Um, I showed him the trailer, and he's like, that's going to be good, Dad. I was like, yeah, it is. It's going to be awesome. So join us for that discussion as we dive in next week for that. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Feelin' Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.